This is the weekly Bull and Bear by Wealthfest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation about what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, Grant and I are recording on Monday. It's March 23rd. In the market today, the Dow fell 538.05 points, or was negative 3.04%. It ended the day at 18,591.93. The S&P 500 dropped 67.52 points, or 2.93%. Ended the day at uh, 2,237.40. VIX was actually down a bit today, negative 6.74%, ending the day at 61.59. You know, last week it was up in the 80s, so a little less volatility. Ten-year uh, Treasury was unchanged more or less today, ending at 0.763%. I mean, ultimately, what caused you know the stock sell-off was U.S. Uh, lawmakers failed to push the deals through again. Um, I mean, there's going to be talks between Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and um, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. I know Steve Mnuchin told uh, Jim Cramer on CNBC that Congress was very close to getting a fiscal package through. Um, your guess on what that means is as good as mine. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like whatever at this point. But, I mean, what we're looking at is global cases have surpassed 350,000 people. Deaths are now over 15,000 uh, in the United States. We now have uh, more than 35,000 cases. It took the S&P only 22 trading days to fall 30% from the high water mark on February 19th. Um, the Bank of America Securities uh, shows that this is the fastest drop in history. Every other drop occurred during years of the Great Depression. So, um, you know, today, this was 22 days, but then the next quickest was in 34, which is 23. Then it came to that big drop year in 31. That took 24 days. And then, you know, the big year everyone thinks of in terms of the depression, which was, you know, occurred in September uh, 1929. That took 31 days to drop by 30%. So in terms of magnitude of drop, this is the fastest we've had in our history. Um, Grant, let's talk about the markets. <laughs> well, where to begin? We're, we're headed for a recession due to the coronavirus. Uh, we're seeing a lot of really gloomy outlooks on the on the economy. We saw that the St. Louis Fed president came out and said that second quarter uh, GDP growth could drop by 50% and that unemployment can jump up to 30%, which is currently 3.5%. Uh, so that's a huge increase on unemployment. Uh, U.S. economy and the global economy has pretty much come to a halt with social distancing. Uh, we're seeing people and big, larger companies uh, have to make layoffs. We're seeing Morgan Stanley come out and say second quarter growth is going to continue to fall uh, as long as Goldman Sachs, JPM, uh, all by double digits. The Trump bump is now uh, eroded, uh, so we're on pace for what is the worst economic quarter since the Great Depression. Yeah, I also saw oil demand might be cut by as much as half. No one's driving, so that's already going to uh, destroy retailers in a time where they're already been hurting all year for a lot of reasons, but now you add the fact that, you know, we've got a full-on quarantine in a lot of places that's just going to just destroy destroy the oil market. That and, the, yeah, then the travel industry, so airplanes are, are reducing the number of flights, which is a huge buyer. 
Uh, and we also saw, just to keep on, on airlines, as Boeing shuts down uh, operations in Washington. Luckily, they will continue to pay uh, employees for the next two weeks as they, as they shut down. But overall, I think we're headed for a major contractions, probably worse than 2008. Yeah, um, I mean, today was also historic in that, I mean, um, effectively, this was the first time that we've temporarily closed our trading floor and we moved to a fully electronic trading. Um, I mean, last week, a couple people have been tested positive for uh, coronavirus infections um, at the screening the floor had set up last week. So that was, you know, a big scare. But, you know, I mean, this is the first time in history that, you know, we didn't have this hustle and bustle on the trading floor because everything went electronic. But at the end of the day, there was no problems reported, and, um, you know, equity markets functioned fairly smooth, smoothly, all things considered. Yeah, it's the first time in the 228-year history that the, the floor hasn't been open. Uh, it has been shut down uh, during World War II and 9-11, but this is the first time that electronic uh, continues without the floor being open. Uh, I think it's historic. Uh, especially as we think about all the crazy market volatility, we won't be able to see the the fun photos of all the traders who are pulling their hair out over over all this volatility. Oh man, I mean CNBC reuses those stock photos, you know, always in either class. Yeah, fist pumping or you know some guy rubbing his already balding head, you know, and uh, so I, <laughs> I think we'll still see some of those stock photos, but but yeah, all quiet on Wall Street. Um, Last week, we saw rates really, uh, yields went up quite a bit. I mean, this was amid, you know, discussions of, you know, the potential $1 trillion uh, federal stimulus to help, um, you know, bump up the economy. So, I mean, last Wednesday, you saw the 10-year Treasury uh, rise, you know, 12 basis points, um, and it hit 1.226%. So, that was the highest level since February 28th. But they have since uh, gone back down to earth, and we're once again that sub ones. Um, you know, despite the fact that we can definitely expect some significant inflation when this is all said and done. But. Inflation's been dormant for a while. I think we're going to see that moving forward. Uh, it's also interesting because we saw that the the Federal Reserve coming out announcing a, a series of government debt buyouts, saying they'll they'll do whatever it takes to or no sum of money is is too large for them to provide liquidity in Wall Street. Uh, so it, it's interesting to see how it dropped so quickly after the huge reversal last week. Yeah, I, I mean, we're getting into, like, there's a lot of stuff that's being suggested on a policy front. I mean, on last Wednesday, you know, the Senate passed a bill to expand, you know, paid leave and unemployment, um, you know, and uh, that, that passed the Senate, you know, with the uh, 90 to 8 vote. And um, actually part of the reason why it was uh, – you know, there's there's actually two senators that that didn't vote, and that was Cory Gardner of Colorado and Rick Scott of Florida because they are in self quarantine. Um, I mean, since then we've actually seen Rand Paul has the corona tested positive. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I guess he's gotten a little bit of hot water because he didn't self quarantine. Uh, he was using the gym. Yeah, he was swimming. He was using the gym. So there's eating lunch in the in the Senate dining hall and all that. All that. Right. Yeah, this guy's on both sides of the aisle, just kind of writing. I you know I hope you get better, but but letters. You know it was. Um, so I mean we do hope he gets better, of course. But uh, you know there's definitely some ribbing um, on that level um, in terms of in terms of, you know, using the facilities. So uh, they're going to have to find a way to start voting uh, remotely. I, 
I know it's the, the, we need to figure that out. I'm terribly worried about. I mean, one politician shake more hands and kiss more babies than anyone else, right? And that's just like this is why we're seeing them and and celebrities in particular. You know, are the ones who kind of the first ones to get it, just because the very nature of their job. So very social. If if we need these guys to be passing out huge stimulus bills to kind of avert you know this this crisis, it's important that we find ways to keep them healthy and as socially distanced as much as possible. We need a fiscal package. Monetary is just not going to cut it. We need an increase in uh, in stimulus. Uh, we'll see what happens. We saw that the the Democrats voted down the $1.8 trillion package last night and then again today, uh, saying that the package wasn't uh, protecting against small businesses. I think you and I could go, go back and forth on this. We, we saw that there some people are asking for no co corporate stock buybacks and also uh, more protections on, on the workers and, and unemployed insurance as well as tax cuts. So it seems like they're throwing everything at the wall uh, to, to see what sticks and what can help. Yeah, I think there's discussions. I haven't read in this too much, but, you know, there's definitely some chatter on maybe having a union rep present on corporate boards. When this is all said and done, um, people are really worried that payroll is going to be the first thing that just kind of collapses, you know, at the end of this crisis. Um, and so that's that's a big thing that people are arguing on. They're arguing about stock buybacks, especially when we're looking at airlines. I mean, if you're going to get bailed out, um, it might be important to, I mean, and both, you know, Mark Cuban, and we'll talk about this a little later, but even the president indicated that they'd be receptive to to banning stock buybacks for, you know, some peer executive packages as well. Yeah, I think that that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, we've also seen, I mean, I guess on a policy front, things have kind of gotten more creative. Uh, you know, the Yang gang certainly loved the idea of the UBI. You're part of the Yang gang, aren't you, Drew? <laughs> uh, dude, I, I like Yang. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was a full, uh, you know, Yang gang guy, but, you know, I, I do like the guy. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, UBI is, is, is interesting because, I mean, right now, I think it's important that we don't have things that are mean tested to hell, um, you know, that have a lot of bureaucratic tape. I think people need cash now. We brought up statistics on how a huge segment of the country can't afford a $500 unexpected, you know, um, cost. Well, I mean, look at what's happened. Uh, that's certainly hit all families. So, I mean, people are going to be deep, deep in the red. And I think this kind of country is going to be fundamentally poor um, when this thing is over with, especially people living in the margins. So, uh, so you know, the the calls for UBI have obviously obviously increased, and uh, you know, even part of this stimulus is pretty much looking like a UBI, right? I mean, we're giving dividends and large tranches. Uh, you know, the suggestions are you know a thousand would be per person, then five hundred for child. So, I mean, that's that's straight in money in people's pockets. Um, for them to use, spend, or to you know use as a rainy day fund. But. Giving people cash may be the most effective way to, to ease this burden uh, to really combat the systematic shops, shocks. I think if we're talking about income that's completely dried up for workers at restaurants, bars, movie theaters, hotels, uh, even airlines, really much the non-salaried Americans living paycheck to paycheck, uh, this could be a way to help them pay utility bills, rent, food, uh, Overall, I think it's interesting. We saw Mitt Romney come out and say he's for maybe giving a thousand dollars per per adult, and I never thought I'd hear Mitt Romney say that. Uh, Andrew Yang's comments on uh, 
on giving cash to Americans is is people do call it a handout, but if you really think about it, it can help them pay bills, educate themselves, start businesses, be more creative, stay healthy, spend more time with their children, take care of loved ones, and, and have a stake in the future. And I think there is some truth to that, but I do think the optics of it are still, to some people, maybe maybe seen as a handout. Yeah, I mean, but there's there's been people for a long period of time who have suggested this. Uh, I know, I think Milton Freeman, um, you know, kind of pushed the idea around back in the day. Uh, I mean, um, Martin Luther King did, and then you also had this almost thing almost passed during a, the Nixon administration, right? So, like, this is this has been an idea that has been was very popular 50 years ago, and we haven't really experimented on in the large basics, except you know, for some small cities have experimented on it, and and different municipalities across the globe. But I, I think that on a large scale thing, I think we are going to see uh, a lot more experimentation of universal basic income, and we'll we'll see see what happens if this sparks a demand for that. Uh, Seems like it's picking up some traction. We're seeing Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk endorsing it. Uh, more startups in, in Silicon Valley, and as you said, uh, Alameda and Stockton are starting to implement some small measures, so it'll be interesting to see a case study. I, I think when you take a smaller population, it may be more beneficial, but when you think about the the entire nation, I think it's a, a different story. It's a, it's, a huge, it's a huge case that hasn't been tested. Right, especially since, you know, in a normal economic time, we'd be trying to find a way to keep it in the green, right? Whether that's a value added to tax. Right now, we simply don't care because we probably don't have the luxury of uh, caring about the debt right now. <laughs> I wish we did. Yeah, um, I, but there's other ideas too. I, there's there's discussions of a student debt relief. Um, some people have pushed for ten thousand dollars in loan forgiveness. I think some of the upper end has been up to thirty thousand um, dollars. You know, I saw that Cory Booker uh, wanted to stop overdraft um, fees for the time being. So we'll see how much of that can uh, be finessed and how much of that will go through. But, you know, people on both sides are really trying to get out their Swiss Army knives and just attack this at all fronts. But, um, you know, and, and largely, I mean, because, you know, we look at the upcoming jobs report, they don't look good. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens on Thursday, but... Uh, I mean, like for instance, I mean, in Ohio last week, you know, you had 48,000 people file for jobless benefits in the first two days. I mean, uh, the week before that, it was, you know, it was about 1,800. So, um, you know, we, what we know is jobless claims um, have risen uh, significantly, and we'll we'll see. But it's only a matter of time that, you know, that, that people start getting laid off. Goldman Sachs reported that two point. Uh, Two and a quarter million filed for joblessness claims last week, which may be the most ever in a week. I, I, that report on Thursday is going to break records. We're seeing it could jump tenfold. Uh, it could be two million or more. I think that's really going to start to draw attention from policymakers in Washington that you know, it, we're, we're headed for not only a recession, but it could be a, a pretty deep one. Uh, you know, the, the job market overall, but before this, before this downturn was really uh, the driving force of our the the longest bull market. We had a really strong labor market with unemployment at 50-year lows, and now I think in a matter of what three weeks we're going to see that number drastically change. Yeah, no, I mean definitely. Um, you know, we we talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, you know, um, I mean, 
I guess we won't really get back into it, but you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, uh, how how that plays into um, companies and, and stock buybacks, and um, you know, if we're if we're you know we're really going to be looking at assistance designed to uh, reduce inequities between executives and workers as they're getting laid off, whether that be you know buybacks or dividends might be you know we might be fundamentally looking at those quite a bit more. I think buybacks makes a lot of sense because if you're spending the taxpayers money to buy back stocks after you got bailed out that just doesn't seem the right use of funds. Uh, I think that it should be probably banned for if you get a bailout a couple years possibly uh, or I think forever is, is a bit of an overreach but for a couple years or until maybe you, you pay back the buyback then that makes sense. Um, you know, I think every worker right now should be, Mark Cuban said this, but you know, compensated and treated equally and executives shouldn't be rewarded uh, because they stick around and, and don't stick it out through through tough times. And, you know, overall, it's, it's interesting to see how some companies are, even though they are laying off workers, if they're still going to provide a couple weeks pay. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, is, is working on a system for that because with the NBA being suspended, all the people who, who are in ticket sales and concession sales and various aspects like that throughout the stadium uh, n no longer have a job. So how, how that impacts them is really important as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, and how do companies pay rent when they're closed um, on, you know, retail space, especially, you know, the food and beverage industry, it becomes very difficult. Well, I think in that, in that stimulus package, there's going to have to be some loan forgiveness for sure, because if, if we think think about how if small businesses can't keep the doors open and or get clients inside of them, then they may go belly up on their loans, and that affects banks because there's a big default rate, and it could be a, it could be a really big spiral. Yeah, we've seen the Federal Reserve continue to be accommodating too, right? I mean, we saw on Thursday and Friday they'd be buying back uh, $75 billion in uh, treasuries um, as they're trying to keep do their best efforts to keep, keep markets falling, but... And, and they reaffirmed that today, saying that they will continue to spend and, and provide liquidity in the markets. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, take this, I guess, from kind of a you know a historical, global perspective. Uh, I mean, the funny thing is, of course, you know, if rich countries might decline in 10% in GDP this year, um, but that is not uh, unusual or unique in developing countries. You know, they're used to things moving in a lot more volatile manner. So um, we're going to have to, you know, look at that. But, I mean, this, it's, it's, it's rare. I mean, um, you know, we're looking at uh, rich countries that expected annual drops of, um, you know, GDP in uh, 10% uh, in a year. That, that was, that's been pretty rare, um, you know, at least in the last century. Yeah, it's downturns obviously create a lot of discomfort, uh, you know, even very steep ones like we're currently in. But I think a, a big piece of, of this is how long does it last? Uh, history suggests that rapid rebounds can uh, can help output moving forward, uh, but it really depends on how long you're in that recession. And I think right now we're, we're headed for a longer one than anticipated. Yeah, I mean, economic historians at the University of um – Groningen, I guess, in the Netherlands. Sounds right to me. Yeah. <laughs> For all you Dutch experts out there, please, uh, please let us know. But you know, they they showed that since 1870, across like 18 industrialized economies, 
there's been fewer than 47 instances that a country has, you know, dropped by 10% um, or more. Uh, and those were largely associated, of course, with with the world wars and the depression and the Spanish flu and you know the latter the earlier part of the uh, 20th century. Um, some of these rebounds were pretty effective, um, especially when you're going into post World War II era. That was because, I mean, one you saw the uh, European Union became a thing, so I mean trade and everything else got easier. Uh, it's going to be, I mean, we'll see how long this lasts, but right now. I mean, because we're dealing with a virus, um, there might be lingering effects on when and if and how, how quickly we open up travel. But, like, in World War II, things became less restricted. There was more movements of goods and peoples. And also everybody was making babies, which they might be very natural. <laughs> social distancing, Drew, social distancing. <laughs> so social distancing might make, uh, you know, our issues in demographics um, – more more difficult, but then you might see a baby bump after this uh, as well. So. Well, and that same study showed that it took an average of, of five years for output in countries that experienced declines of 10% or greater in GDP to regain their peak. So uh, that, that could be a, a pretty long window, as you said, especially if it seems like we, we may have had a decrease in the summer like the Spanish flu, and then ho hopefully in the, we create a cure and maybe a vaccine for it, but hopefully it doesn't seem like it's gone, and then all of a sudden in the fall and the winter, it jumps back up like it did with the Spanish flu, and, and that caused a huge outbreak. Yeah, we we have – we don't really know the extent of seasonality that's going to play into this. I mean, there's people who are suggesting that the warmer weather will, you know, keep this at bay and slow it down, as with other flus, but then, but then of course, we might see ourselves getting back into a quarantine state of mind come time September and October. We just right. don't really know. And I, I, I'm not quite sure if we know, but I, I'm, I'd be interested to see what the reinfection rate is. I mean, if this is a one-and-done deal or if you can get this virus several times, and that really changes the dynamic as well. I believe that the, the first reports on it are that people have gotten it a second time. All right. Not to put a damper on it. <laughs> uh, I, I guess, you know, we'll kind of end um, on a discussion of, Outside of the coronavirus, I know it's tough. Uh, you know, there's just not much else in the news going on. I know we're uh, all very interested in it. At the same time, we're also exhausted by it. So it's, you know, it's it's what's keeping us, you know, nervous. And we have to read about it and we have to talk about it. But then, of course, it's adding to the mental exhaustion and the toll that, you know, we probably all have at this point. Uh, so I'd like to kind of discuss Jamie Diamond's legacy. Uh, is he about to retire? Um, you know. Boy, Jamie's been an institution, but you know he's, uh, you know he's 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 been sick and he's you know recovering, and um, you know it might be time for him to hang up his hat. So if we could talk a little bit about about what he's meant, uh, and then, you know, and kind of close out the call that way. You bet. Well, uh, Mr. Diamond is arguably probably one of the best CEOs uh, in banking history, uh, definitely in, in J.P. Morgan history. Uh, he has created probably one of the most reputable banks. It is the biggest in America by assets and was the most profitable. Uh, just last year, JPM broke the world record for bank earnings in a single year, uh, and he was able to take uh, JPM and turn it into a player on Wall Street in the investment banking space, but al also in the retail space. Uh, he He's uh, pretty extraordinary how he was able to do the, take the uh, Bank One merger with J.P. Morgan, 
um, and lead that into the retail space. And then the bank was in such good uh, position, well, not good positioning, but was uh, faring better than, than others right before the 2008 crisis. They were probably 18 months ahead of other banks and were able to get rid of uh, the more toxic assets and the mortgage-backed securities and then was able to uh, buy uh, Bear Stearns as well as Washington Mutual to give them more of a West Coast presence and then the eventual merger with J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, so they came out of the uh, financial crisis looking looking a lot better. You know, overall what he's done is, is pretty extraordinary, especially if we think about uh, how he's able to combat the London whale uh, and it seems like that really didn't tarnish anything to the bank and how they were able to come out of that is, is another um, good show of leadership. Yeah, and the London whale, uh, just, you know, I guess the record is, uh, is a $6 billion of, you know, outsized derivatives trades and that occurred in 2000. Overnight. Overnight. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'll talk a little bit about what I'm going to be looking at. Of course, it's going to be... Um, you know, what we get done on a policy front, uh, we, we've talked about the primaries, but that looks like it's kind of a done deal. I mean, you've got primaries being canceled all across the country, and, you know, Biden, which one's went, allowed to go through, he's, has a pretty commanding lead at this point. So it's just going to be, you know, I, I think this is more clear. But, I mean, of course, what happens in terms of the Republican and Democratic conventions in the summer is like anyone's guess how that's going to play out. But, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, looks like Joe's kind of got a very clear handle on, on clinching up the nomination. But, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, I guess we'll follow that, but then we'll also follow anything that's changing on the policy front. What about you, Grant? Uh, definitely that. One thing that I want to watch is, is definitely see what happens with the, with the Olympics. I know we touched on it a couple weeks ago, but I think there's more conversations about it. I think that will be a huge loss for – for the world, but also just in terms of the Japan economy, because they've been spending billions and billions of dollars getting ready for it, and there's talks that they may do the games but not have fans, and, and then the travel and the hotels, uh, so that could be kind of a devastating blow. Uh, also, it's you know it's a pretty wonderful event each time it, it goes on, so it's always a fun to, to watch that. So that's definitely something I'll be watching, and um, I think we'll probably watch the coronavirus here. What do you <laughs> In terms of housekeeping, to wrap up the call, uh, we'll try to keep this as consistent as possible for you guys. I know Grant's going to be quarantining this coming week in Billings, which is uh, Montana's most renowned and largest metropolis. So uh, try and avoid the crowds there, Grant. But um, but yeah, uh, so we probably won't be on next week, but we're going to you know play it by ear and hope to continue as as much as possible and as much as we can. Um, I mean, where we're at right now is. Uh, you know, there hasn't been like a hard quarantine, but you know, I, I imagine there's there's talks we, in our county right now. We have, um, you know, it's Galpin County is the number one county for cases, so I think that we're going to be kind of joining the rest of the country and the world in some more significant shutdowns. Uh, you know, restaurants and bars and everything have been closed, but we don't really have a non-essentials banned as of yet. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But um, take care of yourselves. Um, we'll be back on and. Um, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Wealthdesk does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. Wealthdesk does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.